Hey, it's Michael, and this is the Kintsugi Podcast. I'll be back in a minute with today's conversation about resilience. But first, if you're interested in creating a better life, having a better career, please visit kintsugipodcast.com and grab your free workbook on how to have a better life. In it, you'll discover tips and routines so you can find the energy for the things and the people who matter most so you can create a better tomorrow and create the life and career you desire. Hey there, it's Michael. Well, today I have a special treat for you on the Kintsugi Podcast, Conversations About Resilience. We have our third interview since we began in March. Now, if you've been listening since then, you know I don't do many interviews. I really wanna reserve interviews to bring special people to you, people who've moved me in a particular way. And our guest today certainly did. He reached out to me almost like the universe was trying to connect us a few weeks ago. He wanted to share my story, my last bad day story with his audience. And after we got done recording our conversation, we talked more about his story of resilience and the whole concept of energy. And I knew I had to bring him to you. I want to introduce you to Bruce Ross. Bruce operates in the realm of the inner game of leadership. His proprietary approach, flowpreneur, unshakable bull leadership, integrates brain science and optimal psychology directly into business, which is so needed today. And he helps individuals and teams tap unsuspected reserves of human performance, intelligence, and potential. He has spoken at over 30 annual conferences and has been published internationally on the topics of leadership and accessing peak mental performance. He's my kind of guy, and I think he's going to be your kind of guy as well. He has personally coached over 1,200 business owners, leaders, and entrepreneurs, He's a great guy with a great story of resilience. I know it's going to move you. And as he talks about energy and the whole essential qualities of it, I know you'll be inspired and intrigued. And stay with us until the end because he walks us through a really cool exercise, especially now when we don't feel like we have much certainty. Well, this exercise he walks us through can help us find the certainty in our lives, something to grab onto so we can be resilient. So grab something to drink, sit back, and listen to our third interview here on the Kintsugi Podcast and the wisdom of Bruce Ross. Hey, Bruce, good morning, I guess, in New Zealand. Good evening here from the States. Great to see you. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks for joining us and talking about resilience. But before we get into your conversation around resilience, I have to ask you, because New Zealand, at least here in the States, seems to be doing quite well with all the COVID news and cases. And I didn't know if you could give us an update on how is it going for you in New Zealand when it comes to the coronavirus? Yeah, sure. So when it first hit, the whole of the country was in lockdown. And then it went probably for the, after about six weeks, it went to what's called level one, which is border tightness. And then inside the country, you could do whatever you wanted to do. Pretty much, hopefully back to normal, but it wasn't normal because 
businesses were shut, tourism was down, et cetera, et cetera. Recently, as of three weeks ago, they found some community transmissions, some weird, they had no connections with it. How did it happen? Where did it come from? And they discovered that it could well be um, the coronavirus still exists on frozen food. And so that's how they're picking it up. And I've just seen a recent article where they suspect it can last there for three weeks. So anyway, that, as a result of that, Auckland, the major city, the, the largest cosmopolitan city of New Zealand, was in lockdown to level three, which means you can't leave your house, you can't go to work. The rest of the country, and I'm out of Auckland, is level two, which is uh, social distancing, no more than 100 people in a group and so forth. So every day people are waiting. The, the lockdown in Auckland uh, was extended as of yesterday. It's now until about, so would it be on Wednesday? It's now to midnight tonight, and then they review and they see. But there's still a few community cases, and that's what they want to knock on the head. But I think we're talking about four to five. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> quite minor obviously the population much smaller in New Zealand and here in the states we wish we would have only four or five cases you know for us it depends on where you travel in the great great country of America some significant hot spots where the hospital systems are being overloaded some areas seem pretty normal so it's a it runs a gamut so well I'm, I'm glad Things are relatively healthy there. It's sort of good to hear some good news when it comes to this, even though you know there's a little bit of an uptick and a little bit of an alarming thing that it could potentially you know survive on frozen food for up to three weeks. Uh, if if we get that bit of news here in the states, I I don't know what will happen. But what I hope will happen is that we'll, we'll tap into a little bit of our resilience. So let's get into it. One of the things that I love about you like when we first met because we met sort of in a random fashion just a reach out where a couple weeks ago i sat down with you for your podcast and i just loved your energy and then we got to talking more about your story about your work that you do so i was hoping you could share your story of resilience i think we all have many but i didn't know if there was one story of resilience that you wanted to share with the audience today and and how it shaped you as the person you are today yeah, thank you for that. Um, yes, I think we all have defining moments in our life and where the trajectory of our life changes totally. And for me and our family, that was two daughters, younger Danny, elder Kylie, so two daughters. And back in 16, 2016, Danny, 25, 24 at the time, was diagnosed with lymphoma cancer. And it took a long time. It was probably about two years, six, six months that she had all sorts of weird symptoms and she didn't know what was going on. My wife, Kimberly, was going down to take care of her. Eventually, she came up, stayed with us, was living with us and still didn't know what it was. And eventually, it was found to be lymphoma cancer, which is hard to diagnose because the lymphs, it's not one specific place. Anyway, so she was diagnosed and then I think it was about 10 months later, unfortunately, she passed. And the good thing is that we saw it coming and there were conversations, departure conversations that we could have. The bad thing was that it was unknown territory because when your daughter dies, it is nowhere on your projections for your future of your own life or their lives. In fact, it's, it, it's surreal. It's out of your control. You're up against a much bigger 
system. So there's your plan and there's, there's the plan, and this was part of the plan, which we had no control over. And then you come up against this thing called cancer, which is in itself like a, um, a death warrant. You hope, you research, you see what are the alternatives and the traditional route for medicine is chemotherapy and radiation, which is just carpet bombing the body. It's like, oh, so I can understand some people say, no, no, you know, I'll just, I'm not going to go that route. So the departure process, in many respects, it's a bit like the COVID world that we're in because it's totally unknown, totally unpredictable. No one knows anything. They, they give you reference points, but it's nothing like the individual experience you feel. You feel lost. You feel inept, well, I did. Uh, unable to do it. We did everything we could, ringing around, trying to get hold of everyone that we knew that had any sort of, you know, we, we did everything we could and we tried to get to the right places and all the rest. But, and inside it, there was a free fall. So you feel like it's not a voluntary surrender, but you're in a circumstance where you're falling and there's no, you can't, don't know what to hold on to. Um, you, you try and hold on to what you can. And that's where I recognized I was fortunate in that I had my job. And I, there are some things, the routine of my work was my sanity. My wife, it was total dedication. And so for her, it was total free fall. She had nothing really in terms of new, new habits. And so I think that's, there's, a, there's a parallel between COVID and, and that scenario because we reach out for things that are stable, that are certain. And we use the word resilience. You've got to have something stable to hold on to at a reference point, let alone actually hold on to. But when everything you're looking out to, to touch, say, look, I can rely on that, is disappearing or changing, you're going, ah. Oh. So there's this sensation of free fall. And there's also within this one specifically in, in this situation was a deep vulnerability and a, cruel, a sense of the universe has been cruel because it felt so unnatural that your child dies before you. You know, your parents die, you expect that. That's not pleasant. That's, there's grief and, and loss and so forth. But this was just, it felt deeply wrong. And so you can't help inside at all because you don't have the reference points to hold on to. Um, you're barely hanging in there because this is totally out of your hands. You're totally dependent on doctors and what they say and the latest symptoms and, and so on. Um, so I had to, I was caused to ask some very deep questions about do we live in a benevolent or a hostile universe? And this is one of the things that Einstein said, uh, you know, the, the biggest decision you can come to in your life is do we live in a, I can't remember what he said, friendly or hostile, well, I say benevolent, but, and some people say, oh, it's neutral. Okay, whatever it is you choose to believe, you'll find the evidence for now. In that, and I'll, I'll share one moment in a, sh in a few short moments, but I came out of it with a fundamental belief that we live in a benevolent universe and that has helped shape. I mean, and, and so I know this is all around resilience and I think there's certain considerations we need in terms of how we can get through something. Because if we believe we live in a hostile universe, I, I can't imagine living inside that thought process or in a neutral. It doesn't give a toss. Yeah, it's hard to be resilient if you don't see, if you don't have something to grab onto, as you mentioned just a second ago, you need some sense of greater purpose or belief to become or to be resilient. If you live in a neutral world or in a hostile world, it's hard to grab onto that. It's hard to grab on to fear and have fear be a motivational spark that can help you play the long game that resilience requires you to play. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think somewhere in all of this, it's quite a dark conversation to be considering, but I think it's a relevant one for these COVID times because 
whence, from whence does my inner strength come from? And there need to be some, we need to pull the veil back and look at life and go, oh, no. In the midst of everything I see around me, what is it I believe? What is it I truly believe? So that was one. I'll share one particular moment. And what it was, was the last conversation. So as Danny was dying, we each in the family came up with a list of questions and to ask, you know, what's your favorite food, favorite memory, and, and, and a whole range of things. And three days before she died, I was fortunate to have about three hours conversation with her. Now, at this point, the, the nature of lymphoma cancer is pretty much your muscles melt. You have no power. And so what kills you in the end is you don't have the power to suck, to, to chew, to hold. So you starve or your immune system, in the end, she died of pneumonia. Um, is the immune system was so weakened. So this was, she was already at that point halfway out of her body. So she'd recognized she was on the decline. Her body wasn't working. Um, she, had, she hadn't given up, not at all, but she had voluntarily said, well, that part of my life's going. And I said, you know, as an example, the journey of your, what has this taken from you? And she said, first off, my looks, then my body, and then my stability. I mean, so you actually got to feel she, parts of her, the things we say are normal were departing. And so what was left was the essence of her. So it was a conversation of a totally different order. There was no ego. There was nothing to protect. There was no, I mean, she was just totally, you could say on the face, it would say vulnerable. We would say vulnerable because we don't like coming from that place. But she was just her, the essence of her. And so I couldn't be in any other place than that in myself. If I'd come from any other place, it would have contaminated. It would have sullied the purity of the conversation. So I was caused to, it was life to life at an order that I'd never experienced, you know, not usual conversation. And in it, in it, she said, Dad, you need to step up. And that was for me to translate. Thank you for sharing that, Bruce. And I'm, I'm sorry to hear about Danny's loss and passing, but those tender moments, like the gift that she gave you towards that, sort of like a little bit of a motivational, a little bit of a, a push, if you will, right? To take you into the work that you do today. And I've been reading over the last several weeks, some of the work by Richard Rohrer, who does his writing out of, uh, I think in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And he's talked about the whole concept of order and disorder to get to reorder. That as we start life, you know, we all have say a vessel and there's order and there's also like hierarchical order and there are institutional orders. And we have like, when we, we come into the world, we, we come into a world that seems to have a lot of like stability and order, at least for most, some don't. And then we have these moments where it's just complete disorder, COVID, Danny's cancer. And then you can go into Campbell's hero's journey. You can go into other world religions. They all have that type of cadence of order, disorder, and reorder. And even labor. My wife is a childbirth doula, and she'll say that one of the most difficult moments for every mom is when they go through transition. It's like the final stages. So you have all this order when you're pregnant, and then you go into labor, and that is like, there's a lot going on. And then, then you, you have birth, and you have a reorder. And so I think with all of these moments, we have that type of cadence, that type of pattern. It gives me some hope even through my accident that this is how I sort of come to the understanding it happened for me, not to me. At times though, like I also went through what you went through 
where it's like, this is so unfair. Why is this happening to us? This is not, this is not the order of things. You know, we're not supposed to witness our children's funerals, right? So our parents, yes, we know that that's part of the order, but like with our kids, it's completely different. So I appreciate you sharing that story and uh, I appreciate the emotion of it and really, truly, deeply sorry for your loss. Uh, but I, I want to sort of take us now though into like, Danny gave you that talk of dad, you got to step up and, you know, turn it into the work that you do today. And, and so with and one of the things that was sort of a common connection when we first talked was just the whole concept of energy. We talked about flow. And I remember you said, Michael, when you talked about energy, I did a little bit, a little bit of a fist bump or whatever. Like when I referenced it, you, you, you know, you in New Zealand, me here in the metropolitan New York area. But I was hoping you could share with the audience a little bit more about Flowpreneur and what inspired you to start it and a little bit of a description as to what it is. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Give you the context of that. And it also fits into the whole experience with Danny. One of my very first memories was when I was about three, my first conscious memory. And what it was, was I wanted to run from here to there and I ran and it felt amazing. Everything was just in order. And the sensation, the, the, the wind of advancement in your face, I knew that that feeling fitted with what life was like on this planet and so different to a range of other experiences even at that tender age of three and so there was something in my head oh so so this is how you this is what life's about it's that feeling state so there wasn't much consciousness i was three there's an, another experience when i was 17 we'd been tramping through the bush been tramping all day got to the end got to the hut tired but i went up a hill by myself to see where we were and on the way down i started to jog and then i I got this inclination to run fast and run faster, which is weird because I was exhausted. And it was dangerous going down this, this track with creepers and stones and tree trunks and things. And I was sprinting. And for a few moments, I don't know how long the moments were, it felt like I was flying. You know, everything was just working coordination. And I felt I was watching it or feeling it and it felt glorious and had a similar feeling to that three. Now, as I now, as I'm older, and I've looked into this whole area called flow, those were flow moments. So my life had been marked by flow as high point moments, but I thought they're random, you know, lucky me, I experienced it. But every, every, whenever I went trapping afterwards, I was always looking for another hill to run, you know, another track to run to try and recapture it. That's one of the natures of flow is it's that what they call an optimal state of consciousness where we perform and we feel our best. And then in my early 20s, I was very fortunate in, in the spectrum of flow, you've got micro which is when you say go for a run have exercise there's the noise the chatter inside your head stops and you feel really good you feel calm and balanced and things that's a micro flow level and then you've got macro which is more mysterious or mythical or or sublime or religious that you know so there's a spectrum and i was fortunate in my 20s to have extended periods of the macro flow piece but what i what i found was um I would experience it and then I'd just smash to the ground. So there'd be this sublime experiences and then I'd get back to reality and go, this is so damn boring. This is horrible. This is tragic. Is... So I made a decision then that I would try and, if, if there's a ladder, these high peak moments were at rung 60, I couldn't afford to keep crashing. I needed to put the rungs in the ladder on what the hell it was and how to get there and then also how to, sh how to share with other people. So that was a decision I made so that was, if you like, the context out of which Flowpreneur is derived. 
So flowpreneur, it's the combination of two things. There's flow, which I've just talked about, and there's preneur, which is our volitional self, how we turn up on a day-to-day basis. So how we choose to turn up. And an entrepreneur says, well, I'm going to take the step and work on an opportunity. And, but we choose to step up. So you put those two together and that's, you know, that's the concept. Now, bringing in the energy piece is that for a long time, I took on what everyone else said because they're the experts. So for instance, smart goals, right? Yeah, everyone knows specific measurable, da, 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 da. And so I'd apply them, but they didn't work for me. And I thought, well, heck, it must be me because everyone else, you know, you look on Wikipedia, it's just the standard thing. It took me years and years and years to realize that maybe they got it wrong and to start to listen more closely to myself and use myself as the incubator as opposed to listen and simply take on what everyone else said. Because I recognize then if I, because most, a lot of people may have worked for them, but doesn't necessarily work for me. So then I started to pay more attention. And so I asked the question of myself one day, what lies, at the, in one word, what lies at the heart of leadership? And you could say, well, it's got to be vision. You've got to have clarity about where you're going. How can you expect anyone to follow you? You know, I need a visionary leader, blah, blah, blah. And instinctively, I knew there's something deeper, but didn't quite know what. Oh, it's all about execution. You've got to get the job done. And again, I felt, no, nah, it's something deeper. And then you talk about EQ, you know, charisma or presence or emotional intelligence, yeah, something deeper. So what turned up to me is that a fundamental, what's at the heart of leadership is energy. And so not is it that, okay, I've got more energy, I'm more productive and rah, rah, rah. No, when we have more energy, our thinking broadens. We're more open, we're more relaxed, we're more confident, we're more creative, we're more, our immunity system goes up, we more psychological immunity, we can withstand the, the COVIDs and much more thoroughly. And when we have energy is down, we are more brittle, we're more fragile, we're more blamey, we're more isolating, more victim-y. Uh, we're not in the best of ourselves. So mm, high energy, something to do with flow, low energy, antithesis. Mm. So what this has got to do with leadership is that I believe the job of a leader is to give energy. So a bit like a child, the job of a child is to suck their parents' energy until they get older and big enough and so on. The job of a staff member is to suck the boss's energy. And they do that through coming to them, here's a problem, fix my problem, make me feel better. You could say it's a parent-child relationship until the leader and their wisdom can grow the child to become an adolescent and an adult, become less dependent on them. Now, here's the thing. If I, if some, some way I can give you an eight out of 10 energy level, you're going to be fantastic. You're going to be relaxed. You're going to perform well. You're going to have great oversight. You're going to, you know, all those good things. If I suck your energy out, you're not going to be able to perform. So there's certain predictable levels of behavior that go with different energy levels. But there's an even, I think there's an even deeper, more profound understanding. And that is that there is nothing wrong with you. You don't have a problem you don't have a resilience problem. You have an energy problem. Something is sucking your energy. You work fine. The system works absolutely fine. And this is one of, one of the reasons I call him Danny's gifts as an echo out of the whole experience with Danny. There are multitudinous insights. And one was from a coach, sorry, a counselor. I was getting counseling as, as Danny was dying. And she said, quite brutally straight. And I was going, whoa. She said, Bruce, there's nothing wrong with Danny. I went, what? She's got stage four cancer. She said, there's absolutely nothing wrong with Danny. Parts of her have cancer. And that shifted my whole, and that was how I was able to hold the conversations and think of her. She was fine, and she's struggling with 
parts of her that had cancer, but the, 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 the life inside the body was fine. And so this concept of energy, I think it's so important for a leader because if you look at your people, there's nothing wrong with them. It's their energy that's drawing them down. There's nothing wrong with me. The system works well. Something is taking my energy. So if I'm talking to you and you're not performing well, I could say, look, you're supposed to do 10. You've only done three. And the way I'm talking to you, you'll interpret as there's something wrong with me. And straight away, that's starting to suck your own energy. But if I say, look, I know that if when, when you've got high energy levels, you're fantastic. You know, you proved that last week, last year. So it's not you. There's something to, so what's taking your energy? And now it's a whole different conversation. It's separate to the person. They go, well, what do you mean? Well, you know, what do you think? You know, something, something's sucking your energy, sucking your attention. What might it be? And it could be at home, or it could be at work or whatever. Now it's a very different conversation because when you're talking, this interesting thing, just simply talk about energy raises energy. It's the most amazing thing. And then I can say to you at any point, so where's your energy level out of 10 at the moment? You go, oh, yeah, I feel terrible, COVID, blah, blah, blah. Oh, it's a three, I'm just barely, right. So number one, you say to them, they've got to do a personal scan so it gets them out of their head. Number two, they've actually given it a, an independent assessment. So there's a, you're actually separating them out from the experience. And then you can say, so oh, three, okay, fair enough. I, I get that. What can we do to get you to a four? And then, oh, well, I, I, I don't know. No, Bruce, what, 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 how can we get you to a four? And I'll go, well, um, you could do that. Great. Yeah. Okay, cool. What about to a five? And slowly the shift happens. So that's the philosophy, if you like. The philosophy behind Flowpreneur is that, you know, you talk about flow, it's to do with energy. Um, it's to do with maintaining high energy levels. So therefore, it's a matter of asking what's leaking my energy and what gives me high energy. So from whence does my energy come? And so there's two things there. There's number one, what's leaking it. And the thing that leaks it the most is the inner voice in our head that interprets the situation. So it's not, it's not that COVID is bad. It's that it's an uncertainty. And therefore, we tend to say, well, there's so many negatives around it. Yeah, but what if this? And what if I get it? And what about? And so we've created this energy leakage even in our thinking. Now, I'm not saying COVID's good, not at all. But, and it takes effort to try and climb back up. You know, it's, it's a slippy pole, right? I get that. So that's the concept behind the energy piece. Um, that, it, that it's fundamental and whoever you meet, you can do an immediate assessment. You, you can't not as to where their energy level is. You know, you meet someone, you go, do I want to be around them or do I not? Do they give me energy? Do they not? Do I suck it? And our friends give us energy and uh, sometimes leaders do and unintentionally don't. But anyway, so I'll pause there. That's a, I've done a bit of a ramble, but that's that's the concept around the energy piece. A beautiful ramble. So I love it. I, I was just talking to a client today about energy. What I hear you sharing is first, there's awareness, right? What what drains us? What infuses more energy? So that's the first thing, we, which, which we don't talk about because in hey, reality, everything has energy. The desks that we're sitting at have energy. There's kinetic energy. There's potential energy. We humans, sometimes we don't like to talk about it as energy. Let's say it's vibe. It's mojo, it's juju, we use different words for it. But in essence, it's how we used to communicate before we had grunting, before we had vocabulary. We would pick up on someone's energy. If we go to a, a sporting event, you know, I guess in New Zealand, it would be the All Blacks, right? So um, for us, it would be American football. Or you go to a concert, you pick up on the crowd's energy and it feels good and 
and actually changes some of our hormonal release in our body as well. You know, so there's an uptick in dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin. And when you talk about that sort of not so great energy that drags us down, that's when you get the you get the cortisol and adrenaline. Adrenaline can go a little bit either way, but like that cortisol. And, and what I also hear you talking about, Bruce, is just this intersection or this relationship between the energy of fear and the energy of love. And in corporate life, we don't like to talk about love because it seems a little too woo-woo, but it's the stuff that drives so much change in the world that's positive. And certainly here in the States, we have, at least our political system, we have a lot of that lower level energy that you speak of that's just draining people. That's why I think so many people here in our country feel the burnout of COVID because we have COVID itself that we just haven't gotten our arms around. But we also have the economic issues as a result of COVID. We have an environmental issue. Um, and we also have an election coming up. And we also have equity and equality issues that we're dealing with in a country. So we have a lot of this lower level energy that's present. But we also have this opportunity to turn up, as you would say, show up, as I would say, with more love to solve these very difficult things to solve. Yep. One of the things previously when life was quote unquote better or good, um, we would look outside and go, that's good. And we would get energy from that. At the moment, we're looking out and going, that's not so good. And it's robbing my energy. So if you were to predict into the future, is that going to get better? Or is it going to get worse? Well, I hope it's going to get better. It's likely to get worse. So therefore, if you put your attention out there, it's likely you're going to continue to have it sucked. So how, where then do you put your attention? Because energy flows where attention goes. And one of the things that I recognized another gift from Danny is my holding patterns, but like every human, you can't not. Holding patterns are external. If that's good, I'm good. If that's stable, I'm stable. But what happens if at a worldwide level, that's not stable and those things that I relied on. So where do you turn? Where do you focus your attention? And what I'd like to do, because one, one of the questions you've got here for me is, where, what does resilience come down to? Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. I, I think I might know your answer, but I would love to hear it. So I don't want to fill in the blank prematurely for you. So because at one time I used to think resilience, gee, I've got to do the effort. I've got to pull myself back up by my own bootstraps. I have, and that's more effortful. And what happens if you just sit and don't have the energy? So how the hell? You know, it's, it's about not bouncing back. It's about bouncing forward. And what are you bouncing forward? I mean, I've heard, I've heard this stuff. And I'm going, yeah, but you've got to actually be in a good state of mind to be able to do that. But we're in this deep, dark, heavy. And, and what if we don't have that energy to do it to ourselves? And am I supposed to be a leader? I'm supposed to do it to them. So with your permission, I would like to take you and your listeners through an exercise which to me is one of the most profound restabilizing reminders. I call it the tap root reconnection. The tap root is when you pull a plant out, they're big roots. Yep. And this, I believe, is the biggest tap root. It's an internal one. And you connect to this, it gives you, the, the, it reminds you, reconnects you back to the steel of yourself from which resilience naturally bubbles up. So let's do it. To yourself and to the listeners, um, if you can grab a pen and paper, because it is a, a contemplation and you write down your answers. So I'll, 
I think it would probably take two, maybe three minutes tops. Perfect. Okay. So this is called the tap root reconnection exercise. It begins. We're in the midst of a process of subtraction at the moment. Well, all the things we relied on as constants are shifting or disappearing. Security can no longer be found there. But subtraction is a useful process to find your inner stability, your innate immunity. Ask yourself to subtract all the noise of your life, the worry, the frustration, the anxiety, the turmoil, and then to be with what is left. And what is left is what you won't compromise. Try to connect to and feel into that inner state of no compromise. Those things that in the weakness of everything else, you will not give up. Once you have located that, then ask yourself the question, why? Why won't you compromise that? Why don't you give up? What makes you keep going? With all the differences in the world, with all the difficulties, with all the weakness of yourself, why do you keep going? What moves your life? This is the stability within the you of you. So we're so full of the noise, the turmoil, the worry, the concern. Of course, that's where our attention goes. But if we can begin to subtract that, what's left? And what's left is, well, we won't compromise. But the deeper question is, why won't we compromise that thing? Whatever it is. I love it. This might be a false analogy or not the best analogy, but it's Marie Kondo. I'm not sure if she's known in New Zealand. That's more on like sort of material possessions, but she's through subtraction. She's getting down to what brings you joy. This is at a much deeper level as far as like within you. Uh, within your soul, what keeps you going? Um, no, powerful exercise. I loved it. Thank you for sharing with me and also sharing with the audience. Oh, you're welcome. It's, you know, that about yourself and that is where the stability lies because you need a strong home base to come out from. When we look externally and we base ourselves externally, 
and it's disappearing or it's wavering or whatever, it's hard. And that's what I noticed with Danny, that the reality was I got to see the person that I actually was, not the person I thought I was. I was living my own, my own little world of who I thought I was. But because of everything that went on, I actually got to see the reality. And I, there's a lot of self-honesty that, I mean, just as you and your circumstance, you had so many things subtracted from your life and you had to build from the inside out. Yes. That sometimes you know, I get asked this a lot. Do you have to go through something, Michael, that you went through to create the change you want to create? And I like to think the answer to that is no. But there is something that happens with your life when you stand so close to death. It's like the great appreciation of the light when you have darkness. The reason why life is so precious is that there's a limit to life. If life was forever, it wouldn't be so precious. And so sometimes for some people, I'm not sure all, because I'm not much into this binary setup of like, there's just one way. Sort of like the smart goals, right? There's, there's more than one way to be, to be productive and reach objectives and goals and all that jazz like that. And I've had more than my fair smart objectives in my corporate career. But for me, at least in this particular case, I had to get really close to death to fully wake up to my life and then build from the inside out. Because I've seen, and this was the path I was going down, that, and I see people current day in 2020 trying to accumulate so much external wealth, but they're bankrupt inside. And for me, and I know the work that you do, sort of in the similar fashion, is that we want people to be wealthy from the inside out. If they happen to do whatever they do and they make money and they can buy those external merit badges, that's great. Hopefully, they might want to donate some of their money to other people. That's my own thing. But I want them to be wealthy inside as well. I want them to have a rich life and to check in with their energy because I think you're spot on, Bruce, that when it all comes down to it, we're all energy. And that's the starting point. Although in many corporate settings, imagine you get this too. I certainly get it in the States. It seems a little woo-woo because it doesn't follow the old scripts of the past of how we get things done. So it seems too spiritual for a corporate environment. But for those people who open their aperture just enough, they stay curious and they step into it. They're like, ah, I have much more awareness, much more truth about how I'm showing up in life. Well, I think that's one of the benefits of science that say the likes of flow and flow science that since about 2007, there's now a myriad of articles around flow to prove. And so you can say, well, what is this flow thing? And they've identified flow triggers. And so you can say energy and they can now codify that it's dopamine, that it's serotonin, that it has this impact. And yes, there's a flow on effect and what you can do to trigger it. So at one level, it could be woo-woo. I mean, I, to me, energy is the easy access point. How am I feeling? I'm just, I feel like crap or I yeah. feel good. Okay, that's the easy access point. We can validate it or we can get the rational brain involved by saying, well, um, I can trigger more of that if I do A, B, and C, and it's codifiable and, and so on. So it's one of the reasons now why mindfulness is, is not so woo-woo. It's now front and center inside corporates because we need to quieten that inner chatter 
for greatest productivity, greatest innovation, and so on. So this is why Google, I've got something like a $3 million mindfulness center, and I've got a full-time mindfulness coach. And you're like, whoa, you know, isn't that a bit wasting? No, no, they do absolutely everything to ensure the high, highest possible performance of their people. So we're facing things, COVID, uncertainty, looking externally, we're going to flounder. What's the upside? What's the gift? Is I think it will cause people to shift their gaze as to from whence their energy now really comes because it used to be that, but that's no longer serving. You know, it's not replenishing me. I think it's good. People are going to have to look internally and the whole self-awareness thing opens up, have to ask questions. They're being caused to ask the questions of themselves now. I can't continue like this. The conversations I'm having with people, it, this is relentless. If this continues, I don't know if I can handle it. So you think about that as a concept that I'm running hard now and it, the marathon doesn't stop. I'm, I'm running at a sprint inside the marathon. And uh, so therefore, in that circumstance, people start, look, start asking questions, asking new questions. And that's where I, that's where I, I believe some of the hope lies. Because when we're in that diminished, fearful state, we're in the least of ourselves. We're, in that, we're, we're fractured, we're disconnected, disconnected from ourselves, disconnected from others. But it takes effort to become self-aware and to take action. And, and I think talking, social connection, getting to find your tribe, people who inspire you, people who have a similar story, who recognize where you're coming from, I think that's huge. Massive, in fact, because we all fall down. We need a soft place to fall and we need the people around us to can support us to understand really where we're coming from. So across this great divide of polarities, find those people that you can connect with and then what is it you focus on? Where, where does your attention go? Because where attention goes, there's an energy element. Energy. If you put you, there goes your energy, yeah. If you focus on what's everything that's wrong in the world, there's a certain nutritional value from that particular piece of information, not that sustaining fast food, instant titillation gone, but feels, you feel depleted. Or you try and focus on superfoods. So what are the superfoods? What an excellent question to ask. Great. Well said, Bruce. Well said. How do people get in contact with you if they want to learn a little bit more about the work that you do and flowpreneur and energy and all that good stuff? So they could email me on bruce at flowpreneur.co. Um, that's flow as an F-L-O-W, preneur, P-R-E-N-E-U-R. Or I have an intro to the energy. It's like an energy chart. It's called the performance predictor because there are certain energy levels. You've got predictable performance. And so you can't expect someone to be doing a top level job if their energy is low. So it's good to know. And people have this on their de- at their desk and they go, so where's my energy? And you can share it with your team. So guys, where's our energy as a team? So they can download that at... I think you'll have in the show notes, but flowpreneur.co forward slash performance predictor, performance hyphen predictor. We'll have it in the show notes. Yeah, we'll have it in the show notes too. I encourage everyone listening to download that. It would be a, a great valuable resource, as Bruce has shared, by your desk, just to check yourself, to have awareness and set your intentions about how you go forward in the day. Well, Bruce, it was great to have you come on the show. I don't do many interviews, as listeners know. This is only the third one. I just choose, I'm pretty picky with who I bring on to the show, but I thought your message was an important one to share with our broader audience. And thank you for sharing Danny's story again. We're sorry for your loss. My hope is that her words of motivation have inspired you to make an even greater impact in the world because we need people like yourself to make a greater impact in the world. 
So thank you for joining us. Thanks for sharing your story of resilience. And thank you for having me. It's been a great opportunity. Thank you. Hey, everyone, it's Michael. I hope you loved Bruce's wisdom about energy. I completely agree with him. Energy is everything. It's the thing upstream. It's the ripple that influences everything in our lives. But before we can tune in or show up in the right way, we have to live a life of awareness. That's why I encourage you so often to grab one of our PBRs, the Pause, Breathe, and Reflect kind, to slow down so you can be more mindful, thoughtful, intentional, however you want to phrase it, and show up in the way you want to show up. Now, I know you got inspired and moved by his story of resilience. I know I did. And how Danny has inspired him, his daughter, to make more of a global impact in the world. I think it's such an incredible story. And every time I hear all of our stories of resilience, I get moved. Because even though we get knocked down, we might have a scar or a blemish or a wrinkle or a gray hair, whether that's emotionally or physically, they tell this wonderful story, this beautiful story about falling down and getting back up again. And the thing is, energetically, everyone listens to this podcast, the Kintsugi podcast, everyone in my Peloton, we support each other energetically to get back up. We provide something to grab a hold of, to say, you got this because we got you. And I just love that aspect of Bruce's story. And I hope you got something from his taproot exercise. I know I did. In a world that seems so uncertain, going through an exercise like that can help bring some clarity to what's certain in your life. So I hope you'll connect with Bruce on social media. I hope you'll share this conversation about resilience with your Peloton. If you do, please tag Bruce and me. And I hope you'll check out the KintsugiPodcast.com. Especially if you have a question, please leave your question there. Be happy to answer it. And while you're there, you can check out our new Pause, Breathe, and Reflect tea with this unbelievable message inside, printed inside the shirt around resilience. It's a shirt that has three key messages. Be mindful, pause, breathe, and reflect. Understand who you're riding with, who's in your Peloton. So that's about community. And then the story of resilience printed inside that only you can see because it's inside the shirt. But you can also check out while you're there, the Paceline Leadership Academy. And there's really nothing like it for corporate warriors. We'll help you, myself, along with our community. We'll help you strengthen your leadership skills, especially if you're in the middle of an organization or aspire to be a leader. But more importantly, you'll join a community that has got your back, that will help you grow and develop. And you have access to executive coaching that is quite different than what you're going to typically get in a corporate workshop. So we've created a safe place for you to work through the things that you need to work through. That conversation in your head that we all have, well, and the one that we don't want to share in a corporate workshop, we create a program for you to talk through that so you can slay that. You can let that go. So you can get on to the things that help you make more of a difference in other people. They help you ripple this beautiful energy of yours. So I hope you'll check that out. So again, thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing and leaving a review. And until next week, be mindful of your energy. And of course, have fun storming the castle. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.